Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you've been with us this weekend and now as we come to our last presentation for this weekend and for today, I pray that you would speak through me. May I be lost sight of, may Christ be lifted up and may we go from this place ready to meet him when he comes. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So our theme this weekend has been be ye transformed, based on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I would like to start this final presentation by reading that passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, as I said earlier this morning, Paul has developed the theme of being transformed in the book of Romans. And I want to show you how Paul has developed this in the first several chapters. First of all, notice how he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Did we not see the mercies of God, especially in Romans 3, where we see that God has offered us justification freely? I mean, the mercies of God, we deserve to die. All of us deserve to die. And yet, God, by His great mercy, is offering us this free gift of salvation. And so He's saying, because of that, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, what does it mean to present your body as a living sacrifice? You realize that Paul actually talked about that earlier in the book. And if you've studied the book of Romans, I, I would invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Paul saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now notice what he says in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Who, who's him? With Christ. Our old man is crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, let me ask you this. If you present your body as a living sacrifice, would that not be the same thing as having the old man crucified with Christ? When Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, He's simply pointing back to what he showed in Romans 6 where he says, the old man is crucified with Christ. Now the same author, Paul, talks about being crucified with Christ in one other place in Scripture. Do you remember that? Well, more than one place, but especially in the most famous passage, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, or I live by the faith of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, when I see that Jesus loved me, and that he gave himself for me and was crucified on the cross, I say, I surrender, Lord. I will be crucified with you. Now let's go back to this concept in Romans 6 about the old man being crucified with Christ. Who's the old man? It says our old man is crucified with Christ. Who's that old man? You realize that we were all born ever since Adamson, we've all been born with sinful natures. And we all have that tendency to be selfish. And even little babies say, mine. 
don't take mine. And we like to do it my way. This is my thing. This is my thing. You do it my way or else. We have that in our nature, in our tendency to say, I'm going to do it my way. And if that so happens to go along with what God says, that's convenient for me. Good. You know, naturally speaking for myself, there are certain things in the world that have no pull. And it's not necessarily because I'm converted. I mean, you could not pay me enough money to go out and shoot somebody. That would be like the most terrible, awful thing to even consider doing and then to live with the guilt afterwards for doing it. You just couldn't pay me enough. That's not even, that's never even been on the radar screen of a temptation for me. And I have, I've happened to grow up vegetarian. I've never eaten any type of meat in my entire life. I haven't eaten fish, whatever. Again, that doesn't make me righteous and holy because I haven't done that. I choose to live that way so that I'll have a healthy body and a clear mind to hear God speaking to me. So, you know, if I go to a restaurant and I see a whole bunch of pork in a, at a buffet, it's not like, oh man, I really wish I could put some pork on my plate. That, that's not going to get to me. But you know, there are certain things where my old man will start speaking to me and saying, boy, I know you're a follower of Jesus now, but don't you remember how good that felt? Don't you remember when you were like really able to just be you and to tell those people what you really thought of them? And to just give them a piece of your mind? Why don't you just show them Norman McNulty in a flash of glory right now? <laughs> then you can go back to serving Jesus again. But right now, show yourself for who you really are. And you know what? Each one of you, you know what those temptations are. It may not be the pork. It may not be going out to shoot someone. Hopefully... The shooting thing isn't even close to the radar screen for any of us here. But you know what? The Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments, and if you break one, you're guilty of breaking them all. If you have hatred in your heart for a brother or a sister, Christ says that's as bad as murdering them. If you can't forgive someone who's wronged you, in God's eyes, that's just as bad as if you shot them. So, each one of us has that old man. And you know, when you come to Romans 7, and this is why Paul talks about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, because if you do not present your body as a living sacrifice, the old man is going to come back. So in Romans 6, we see that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed so that we will no longer serve sin. It's interesting, when you come to Romans 7, in the first four verses, Paul gives an illustration, and for interest of time, I will try to summarize this as quickly as possible. But Paul's speaking to Jewish Christians, and he says, I'm speaking to you to, to who know the law, that the law has dominion over you as long as you live. And here's what Paul's saying. The law is simply there to point out what is right. If you break that law, that's it. You can never make up for breaking the law in your own human strength. That's why the gospel is so amazing. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve to die, and yet God in His great mercy offers salvation to us. So he's saying, you know, the law has dominion over us as long as we live. And then he makes an illustration. He, he speaks about the law of marriage. He says, and it's interesting, he specifically speaks with respect to a woman because he's making a spiritual analogy to God's people as the church. And he says, when you are a woman and you're married to a man, you are bound by the law of marriage to stay with him as long as you are alive. As long as you are alive and you're married, you are bound by the law to stay with him. And of course, that's true for men towards their wives as well. 
And then it says, but if the husband dies, you're loose from the law of marriage so that you can marry someone else. And notice what verse 4 says. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Who is Paul saying that we should be married to spiritually? Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. But now notice what Paul was saying here. As long as you're married to one man, and he's speaking to, in a spiritual sense to women which represent God's church, as long as you're married to one man, you can't marry another man. And he says, if you try to marry someone else while, you're still, while your husband is still alive, you're an adulteress. And by the way, just as an aside, in our modern society, people think that if you don't get along with your spouse, you can just divorce them and then go marry somebody else that you like better. But you know, in the eyes of God, that makes you an adulteress or an adulterer because in the eyes of God, the only reason that you can get a divorce is if there was adultery in the marriage. And even Adventists seem to not understand. It's like, well, we have irreconcilable differences, so I'm leaving. And once the dust clears, I'll get married to somebody else. That's adultery. The Bible is very clear, and Jesus says so. But here's the spiritual point that Paul is trying to make. We have an old man that in chapter 6, Paul says, let the old man be crucified so that that body of sin might be destroyed. And in Romans 12 he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That old man, that man that tells Norman McNulty, hey, why don't you just flash your old self so everyone can see that you don't cross the line with him. Don't mess with me. I'll show you what I'm really like when you make me mad. You know that old man that we all have? As long as we stay unconverted, we are married to him, spiritually speaking. And what the Bible is teaching is that if we are going to follow Christ, that old man must die and we must marry Christ. Now let me tell you something about Christ. When Christ lived here on this earth, did he break the law? Does he break the law in heaven? So let me ask you something. If you are married to the old man, will Christ marry you? Why not? Because Christ does not commit adultery. And he will not marry you if you stay married to that old man who, while you're claiming to be, oh yes, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, thank you so much for all you've done for me, and then as soon as things go wrong, you're acting like a devil. In essence, you are proclaiming spiritual adultery to the world. Oh yes, I follow Jesus. Oh yes, I love Jesus with all of my heart. But the old man of sin is the one that I'm really still, still married to. And so Paul is saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be crucified with Christ so that Christ can marry you spiritually so that you can be transformed in your mind so that when you're crucified with Christ, as he says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the life that I live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God or Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. Somebody crosses me. Or you start to hear that music that you committed to giving up at this camp. Or you're going shopping and you see that dress that you said you weren't going to buy anymore. Or you hear Jay-Z's music playing or whatever it is. And the old man starts screaming and says, let me be resurrected. Go back to being the you that you really are. Don't let Christ take over your life. But when Christ comes into the heart, you say, you know what? Not I, but Christ lives in me. And instead of following 
the way the old man, your selfish nature, would have you to go, you let Christ give you the power to choose as He would choose. And when it says you live by faith, it's interesting. It says, I live by the faith of the Son of God, or the faith of Jesus Christ. Now notice this. When the old man is crucified and you surrender your heart to Jesus, and as we talked about this morning, you see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for you, and your heart is melted, and you say, I see that my sins were the ones that put him on the cross, and in your mind's eye, you can see Jesus looking at you, and you can see your sins, the ones that put him there, and you say, I surrender, Lord. Take them from me. I don't ever want to put you back on the cross again. I don't want Hebrews 6 to be fulfilled where it says we crucify the Son of God afresh. No, I surrender my life to you. And because of that, I invite you into my heart. And so what happens is, instead of the old man controlling your life, you actually show forth the character of Christ. So and even you yourself are like, whoa, this is amazing. By the grace of God, you get crossed, you get vexed, and instead of speaking like a demon, you speak like Jesus. And that's what the power of God can do for us. But notice, Romans 7 then goes on to say, because this is the interesting thing. <laughs> we somehow, in our fallen human minds, think that if we follow God, it will lead to bondage. But in Romans chapter 7, what Paul teaches is that in reality, when you stay married to the old man, you remain a slave to sin. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, if you are sold under sin, what does that make you with respect to sin? It makes you a slave to sin. When you are carnal, you are a slave to sin. So don't let someone tell you that you can be a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is someone who is a slave to sin, who has a form of godliness, but who denies its power. I am carnal, sold under sin. And notice what he says. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Do you realize verse 15 is showing you exactly what it means to be a slave? You know what it's like to be a slave? Hopefully none of you do. I, I actually don't either. In an earthly, literal sense. But in a spiritual sense, we can all attest to this. When you are a slave, you are forced to do things by your slave master that you don't want to do. And then your slave master does not allow you to do the things that you want to do. And so in Romans 7, this is a person who sees the law of God. He sees that God's way is the right way. And many of you here this weekend, you have heard these messages and you're like, you know what? What they are saying is true. I know that I need to give these things up. And I want to do it. And as I said earlier this morning, and then you're going to try in your own strength to do it. But if you don't present your bodies as a living sacrifice, if you don't surrender your heart to Jesus fully, 100%, completely, you say, I'll give 99%, but not 100%. That 1% will allow the old man, your selfish nature, to be your slave master still. And so you come to that first test, and you start hearing the music playing, and before you know it, you've slipped right back in. Because you do the things you don't want to do. And you don't do the things you want to do because you are in slavery to sin. You are in bondage to sin. And you don't know how to be delivered. And in fact, later on in Romans 7, Paul talks about how he's brought into captivity to the law of sin. And he describes himself as a wretched man. This is why Paul says we should be crucified with Christ. Because when we are crucified with Christ, Christ comes in. Now, and it's a very simple equation here. Christ comes in, 
sin goes out. Sin comes in, Christ goes out. You see that? Christ comes in, we surrender our lives, and the sins from our lives go out. We accept His sacrifice. His life comes into our life. He, we begin to live His life. But when we let sin come back in, Christ is not going to commit spiritual adultery, so He goes back out. And so you may be wondering, because Romans chapter 7 talks about what it's like to let the flesh control your life. And just as Paul says, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? There are probably many of us here today that are saying, O oh, wretched man or woman that I am, I've heard messages this weekend and I want del deliverance from my life of sin, but how can God really deliver me from this? And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, starting in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And notice verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do. Do you realize that the law can only point out your sin? It doesn't give you any power. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. We have a human nature that is like the that has the experience of the man of Romans 7. It knows what it's right, but it has no power to keep the law of God. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Remember the gospel is that Jesus was made of the seed of David according to the flesh? What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent His Son through the seed of David in the likeness of sinful flesh. And by the word, the, the word likeness, by the way, the word likeness means same as or similar to. Now some people try to use that to say, well, He wasn't really like us. But do you realize that in Philippians 2 it says Jesus was made in the likeness of men? So was he a man or was he not? It's the same word. The word for likeness of men is the same as likeness of sinful flesh. So was he really a man or was he not? And do you realize in 1 John chapter 4, it says, He who confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God and is of Antichrist. And why would you think that is? Because Antichrist says you can't have victory over sin. But Christ says, I have shown because I came in your flesh. I was bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, sin condemned sin in this flesh. Why? that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? Outside of us? No, it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Do you realize what Paul is saying with the power of the Gospel? And we talked about it this morning. The Gospel is so powerful and so amazing because Jesus Christ came in our flesh, lived a perfect life, gave a perfect sacrifice so that we can have complete forgiveness for sins. And not only that, He condemned the power of sin in human flesh so that if we keep our eyes on Him, we can have the same power to live the same life in this flesh on this earth. We can be a revelation of the righteousness of Christ for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Because we live the life Jesus lived. And we can do that because Jesus came and took our nature. And that, my friends, is the power of the gospel. But you know what? 
The righteousness of the law will not be fulfilled in us if we are not crucified with Christ. And you know, the gospel is so amazing because no matter what our past is, Christ justifies us freely. And in Romans 5 verse 1 it says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Can you imagine? You know, so many Christians, professed Christians, go around in this life and we don't have peace with God. Well, I don't know if I'm really in a saving walk with God. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. I know He died for my sins, but I'm not sure if He really forgave me because of my past. We really can have peace with God. He really is a complete Savior. We really can have forgiveness, but we can also have victory. But the righteousness of the law will not be fulfilled in us if we do not surrender our lives to Jesus. And so when we talk about being crucified with Christ and being surrendered to Him, do you realize that that is where we reach the issue of what is the deal breaker? We see Jesus. We see Him dying on the cross for us. We see Him as our complete sacrifice. And we see that He offers complete power to us. And at that moment, we have a choice. Will we give our hearts completely to Him and let Him come in so that He will live out His life through us? Or are we going to say, you know what? I, I agreed that everything that I heard here this weekend was good and there's a lot of things that I need to give up, but there's just that one thing that I won't give up. All those other things, that won't be so bad to give up because it will actually, it will actually help me to live longer anyway and I might lose some weight and I might look better and this and that. And so that's good. I'll do that. But man, that one thing, that one song, that's the song that my boyfriend and I got together with or my girlfriend and I got together with. I can't give up that one song and that one dress, that one DVD. Man, that's what really... I just have so many good memories with that. But don't you realize that Jesus gave up everything for you? How can we look at Jesus as He's hanging on the cross for us and we see His look in His eyes full of love, mercy, and grace and we see in Him on the cross the opportunity for eternal life and salvation and a life that will be full and free and full of peace and we see all of that and we say, no, thank you, Jesus. I know you gave up everything. You, gave, you came from heaven. You gave up your glory with the Father and the angels. And you had to live here for 33 and a half years with people who didn't appreciate the sacrifice you made. And they actually ridiculed you for your self-sacrificing life. And they didn't understand what you were doing. And I'm glad you did that, but there's just a few things that I'm not willing to give up for you. When you really, though, when you really see Jesus and what He has done, there is no way that you can hang on to sin. God has the power to transform us so that we can really be a living sacrifice. Now let me tell you something. Remember when I talked about the gospel to, and how it allows us to be obedient to the faith among all nations and how the three angels' messages are to be preached to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. You know, Ellen White talks about the message of justification by faith as being the third angel's message in verity. Now, why do you think Ellen White would say that the third angel's message is the third angel's message in verity? Well, I want to read just a few quotes. This first one is from Review and Herald, March 22, 1887. Because you know, the devil is afraid of this message. He's afraid that people will realize that the gospel is a complete package. It's complete forgiveness and complete victory. Notice what Ellen White says here. There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance 
so that the Lord can pour out his spirit upon a languishing church and an impenitent congregation. Now, let me say something. If the church was languishing in 1887, in a time when Ellen White, the prophet of the Lord, walked among the saints, what do you think she would say today? She, come, she would come to our churches and she would see in our churches, churches that have been turned into a bedlam of noise. And she talks about how dancing and drums will come into our churches just before the close of probation. And you can see it today. We are a fulfillment of prophecy in our very church. And yet, Ellen White says, Satan can no more hinder a shower of blessing from descending upon God's people than he can close the windows of heaven that rain cannot come upon the earth. So we see here, God has a gospel message that provides complete forgiveness, complete victory, and a way that will uplift Christ and demonstrate unto the world. And yet we as Seventh-day Adventists, so often we are saying we want to be carnal Christians. We want to be carnal Adventists. We want to have the experience of Romans 7 and we want to worship God the way we will worship Him and hopefully God will bless us that way. And God says, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know the reason why all of that has come into our churches? It's because we allow that old man of sin to be the slave master of our lives. And so instead of choosing to follow God's way when we come to decisions and committees and in board meetings and you name it, instead of saying, what does the Bible say? What does the spirit of prophecy say? What is our guidepost for how we should follow what we do? We say, well, we know the Bible might say that. We know the spirit of prophecy might say that. But we live in the 21st century and our culture dictates that we should do it this way. And like Dr. Walsh said, heaven does not have the culture of earth. And my friends, it is time to bring the culture of heaven down to Trinidad. Amen? We must be transformed, not conformed. Let me read you another quote. Remember, we're talking about how this message is the third angel's message. I'm going to read. This is from Testimonies of Ministers. It's found on page 91. The Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to His people through Elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior. You know, we need to hear more about the uplifted Savior in our messages in connection with our last day message. And you know, you can go one way where all you're talking about is scary end time events and this and that and conspiracy theories and Christ is left out. So we must keep the Savior uplifted. The sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And she says it presented justification through faith in the surety and it invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. So notice, you accept Christ as your surety and it's made manifest by obedience to all the commandments. She goes on to say, many have lost sight of Jesus. Seventh-day Adventists who understood the doctrines basically told they could nail the mark of the beast and the law and all these finer points of prophecy, but they didn't know Jesus. But you know what's happened? After that, Adventists said, well, man, we can't lose sight of Jesus, so let's throw out the doctrines. Let's just talk about Jesus and who cares that the 2300 days ended in 1844? Who cares that Christ is trying to cleanse the sanctuary in heaven? Who cares that we're living in the judgment hour and that Jesus is going to come back? Let's just preach about Jesus and tell people that they can live however they want. But the complete package is lifting up Christ, which also uplifts obedience. Many have lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, and His changeless love for the human family. And then she goes on to say, 
This is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. Now let me say something to you. We have maybe 80 to 100 people here this morning. If every one of you went from this camp and received the righteousness of Christ fully, you have full assurance of forgiveness of sins in your past because you trusted in the words of Jesus and his complete sacrifice. And you by faith believed in his complete power for victory over sin. Do you know what God would do in this island of Trinidad through each one of us? Realize, you've, you've heard some speakers here this weekend, but this is not about four or five or six speakers who got up and gave messages. This is about equipping and training you as young people to go from this place to go back to your churches and to be demonstrations of the righteousness of Christ so that it can be proclaimed with a loud voice throughout all of Trinidad. And when people start coming into our churches, they will say, I want to be connected with Brother Kevin. Sorry, Sister Candy or Brother So-and-so because they have the love of Jesus and I want to be with them wherever they go. That is what the third angel's message does. The third angel's message does not produce a generation of young people who show up to church on Sabbath and say, I can't wait for sundown and so I can go out and line with my friends on, on Saturday night and maybe go to a cinema and slip in a shanty carrot or whatever it is. That's not what the third angel's message produces. That's not what Jesus produces in the lives of his followers. You realize that the seventh-day Sabbath is a one-day a week appointment with your best and dearest friend. And it's a day that you get to spend with him all day long. And when you're in love with him, you look forward to it all week. But if you're not in love with him, it's like you have to hang out with someone that you think is, is going to keep you from doing what you want to do. So here we see this message is the righteousness of Christ. Ellen White also says, God gave to his servants a testimony that presented the truth as it is in Jesus, which is the third angel's message in clear, distinct lines. Now let me show you from the Bible why the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. What I have shown you is that the message of righteousness by faith and justification by faith leads to a transformed life. We see Christ as a complete Savior. We receive His forgiveness of sins. We also receive power to live His life. Now notice, going back to Romans chapter 6, talking about being a living sacrifice and being crucified with Christ. It's interesting, in Romans 6, verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, or in other words, we will no longer be slaves to sin. And then in verse 7 it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. But you know what? In the King James, there's a marginal reading for freed from sin. You know what it says? He that is dead is justified. So here's the point. In order to be justified by faith, you must be crucified with Christ. And in Galatians 2.20 it says, When I am crucified with Christ, Christ lives in me, and the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God or the faith of Jesus. Here's the point. When I am crucified and the old man becomes crucified, I am now free from sin or justified by faith because I am dead to sin. Sin no longer has a pull on my life because I am a follower of Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. And so when I live in my human flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God or the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, do you know how the third angel's message closes? Here is the patience of the saints. This is Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and what? The faith of Jesus. 
Do you see the connection? When you are crucified with Christ, you are dead to sin or justified. And when you are crucified with Christ, Christ lives in you and he exercises his faith through you. And that is the third angel's message in Verity. Because there will be a generation who will start living for Christ and will be a demonstration to the world that you really can live like Jesus even at this late point in earth's history. There will be a group of people who will say, you know what, even we're Seventh-day Adventists and we're not going to take the name Seventh-day Adventists and then play politics like the politicians do during elections. We're going to be like Jesus Christ. We're going to live by the faith of Jesus. We will be crucified with him. So I'm not going to be allowing my old man of sin to try to promote me to high positions so I can move my way up the ladder so maybe one day I'll end up at the GC or whatever. No, I will serve God faithfully if it's a small district or if I'm a lay person or whatever simply to proclaim and demonstrate the three angels' messages. And if I'm in one corner of the world and God can use me to be part of his finishing work, I don't need to be in a position of authority. And God is going to have a generation of young people who are going to be saying, you know what? We're tired of playing games with the world and trying to see how close we can come to the edge and without falling over into the world and still claim to be Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to have a generation of young people who say, we are going to follow God because we love Him, and we're not going to be asking questions like, oh, will I lose my salvation if I do this or that? We're going to say, will God's name be honored or vindicated before the onlooking universe when, he, when they see the decision that I make with respect to this issue? And do you realize that the standard has been lowered consistently through the years in the churches? Because instead of asking what will bring glory to God and what does the Bible say, we say, well, is this a salvational issue? And because we think that God will cover us while we're sinning, we just keep lowering the standard. And so one example that I saw in the United States, there was a, an Adventist university where the president got up before the students and had his hair dyed purple. And after he said whatever he said, they had a flash mob come out. And they were, it was like they were dancing around the golden calf. And we call ourselves Adventists. And we, these are supposed to be our Adventist institutions, training our young people to be ready for heaven. But you look at scenes like that, and it seems like they're being prepared more to go to the other place than the right place. We're training our young people to go the wrong way. I'm speaking at least for the United States. You know, God is looking for people who will be crucified with Christ, who will follow Jesus all the way, who will be not conformed to this world, but who will be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. You know, if you love Jesus... Being crucified with Him and being a living sacrifice is a per perfectly reasonable thing to do, is it not? He gave up everything for us. All it, it, for us, we should just gladly give up everything for Him. You know, this is the last session for Generation for Christ 2011. And we've heard a lot of messages. We've heard a lot of challenges. And as you go away from this place, one of the things I hope that you take away from you, take away from this, is that you take away from this session a clearer picture of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Jesus loves you with all of his heart? Do you realize that he loves you more than any boyfriend or girlfriend will ever will love you? And as a married man, I can say that Jesus loves me more than my wife ever can, as wonderful as she is. She's awesome, amazing, you name it, she is. But she can't love me the way Jesus loves me. And we look to so many other things than to the one true source of happiness. And when we fall in love with Him, 
your parents, your church leaders aren't going to have to be begging you to give up those things that you're hanging on to. Because you'll love Jesus. You're living for Him. It's about Him. It's about being transformed. It's about following Him all the way. And you'll love Him more than any person here on this earth. And there's not going to be any family member, friend, or anyone that will drag you away from your deep, intimate connection with Jesus Christ. And with that experience, we will go from this camp on fire as demonstrations of the love of Christ. And you realize that as part of the Advent movement, God raised us up to, be that, to have that experience. You know, in Revelation 10, it talks about how God raises up the second Advent movement so that the mystery of God could be finished. Do you remember what the mystery of God is? In Colossians 1, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's being crucified with Christ. And that experience will culminate when the mystery of God is finished in the Advent movement, when Christ has perfected His life through His Advent people, then we will see the outpouring of the latter rain, as Pastor McMillan talked about. And we will see Revelation 18.1, where this angel comes down from heaven having great power... Because the earth has never seen so many people that are just like Jesus Christ. And the earth will be lightened with the glory of God. So, you know, I want to make an appeal. And you know, I know, especially as young people, sometimes when you're around your friends, the last thing you want to do is to make a decision in front of your friends. But you know, we can't close this camp where we've been called to such a high standard to live for Jesus without making an appeal for you to follow Jesus all the way. And there are some of you here that know you have not been following Jesus all the way. You've had a form of godliness. You can sing the songs well. You can actually maybe even dress appropriately as Sister Huggins talked about. You, you're dressing okay. But it's not in the heart. And maybe some of you have even deeper issues. Whatever it may be, you know that God brought you here this weekend. And you're realizing now it's not because your friend invited you. It's because Jesus invited you. And you realize that this is your opportunity to have a turning point in your life. To say, I'm going to be a 100% dedicated Christian, dedicated to the cause of the Seventh-day Adventist message to not only be ready my, myself, but to help others be prepared for Jesus to come. I'm going to give everything and sacrifice everything for the proclamation of this truth for the rest of my life. And this may not be for everybody. If everybody came forward, I would be happy. But if only one person comes forward, I would be happy. If you are one person who says, I am ready to put everything behind me, looking behind, I'm going to move forward to the prize of the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. And I am going to give my life to Jesus today, fully and completely. I may have been baptized already, but I am making a full commitment to be part of this message to be in God's army for the last days, I would invite you, whatever your age, whatever your background, to come forward at this time as we have a special prayer of consecration. This is for those who want to be fully transformed, not conformed, to be demonstrations of Jesus to the world, to Trinidad and Tobago, to the Caribbean. You know, God is raising up a movement here. This weekend didn't happen by chance. This weekend happened because God wants Jesus to come back soon. You know, as Ellen White says, Christ is waiting with longing desire. Do you realize that Jesus wants to come back worse than we want him to come? And when we want him to come back as badly as he wants to come for us, he will come. And that means we will love him with all of our hearts. Amen. I'm thankful for how the Holy Spirit has worked this week. I'm thankful for each one of you who have come here. And God is doing a special work. And I know that He's going to bless each one of you for the decisions you've made this week. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your matchless love.
You loved us so much that you sent your only Son to die for us so that as we see the matchless love of you, our Father, through your Son, our hearts will be melted and we will say, Jesus, God, take my heart. I'm tired of my sins. I'm tired of trying to act like I'm following you when I really don't love you. Lord, I am choosing today to love you 100%, all the way, all the time. And if we fall, we praise God, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who will forgive us our sins. But Lord, we pray that you will help us so that we won't fall. Help us to just keep walking on the straight and narrow way. But if we do, help us to not get discouraged. Help us to keep, to get right back up and keep going. Because you are a merciful and faithful high priest for us. And Lord, for each one who has come forward, I pray that they will go back to their churches on fire. Not to beat people over the head and to bring out measuring tapes and say, this is, or that is too short or whatever in a judgmental and mean way, but to bring Jesus back. Amen. The real Jesus. Amen. The complete Jesus. Who is a complete Savior. Who is loving and empowering. And may this have a powerful effect on our churches here on this great island of Trinidad and for those who are from Tobago as well. Lord, I just thank you for all that you have done for us and what you are going to continue to do through this movement that you are raising up around the world. As we see these things happening, we know that your coming must be at the door. May we never lose that love in our hearts for you. May that love not grow cold, but may we be fully surrendered and loving each and every day. And may we grow closer to you each and every day. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, one thing here as we close... One thing Ellen White talks about that I have found to be powerful, she says we would do well to spend a thoughtful hour each day meditating on the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. And when you meditate on how Jesus went through Gethsemane, and the reason he went through was because he knew you wouldn't be in heaven if he didn't do it. And you see yourself putting Jesus through that. You won't want to put him through that again. You will want to uplift him and be a follower of him. And to help his kingdom through his grace. And by his grace he has the love, mercy and power to give us that experience. Amen. Amen. So praise God for what he's done here this week. And amen. amen. God is doing a mighty work. Amen. And we have the privilege of being part of it. But you know what? A day is coming when the latter rain is poured out where what we saw here will be nothing compared to when the latter rain is poured out. And we want to be alive when that happens, amen? We want to be part of that work where we are part of the lightening of the earth with the glory of God. And we can if we stay faithful. So may we go back to our churches and may we be faithful and share this message to everyone around us. So God bless you and keep the faith. Amen.